Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Are the signs in the heavens legitimate, divinely directed signs from heaven, signs from God, speaking messages to you and to me that end times are upon us? What about the recent last three years? Lockdowns, over 700 million cases of coronavirus, airports shut, the world has changed so dramatically. What about Afghanistan? What about six months later after Afghanistan? The Ukraine is invaded suddenly one shock after another. And now the recent calamities that we see happening in the Middle East. My dear friends, don't you know that these things that are happening are not a coincidence? Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Corral, and today I invite you to join me for a wonderful teaching on seven signs for seven years. Many of us wonder, is it really end times? And today I want to prove to you from the word of God, the shocking reality that time is running out. So let's begin with a prayer right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that every pure person that is viewing this telecast today will understand the spiritual significance of the signs in the heavens. Lord, I ask you today that every person that is viewing, that is asking the question, are we quickly approaching the time of the end? Or are these events that are happening in the world, such as, oh, Heavenly Father, 700 million cases of coronavirus, almost 1 billion of them, the entire planet shutting down during the time of coronavirus, the escalation and sudden shock of Afghanistan. Then we're moving into one calamity after another, the invasion of the Ukraine. And then we come to the current crisis and the current invasion in the Holy Land. Oh, my dear friends, it is so important that we understand these things are not a coincidence. As a matter of fact, you would have to actually go against the facts and go against what is real reality and what the Bible teaches us and look at the facts that are written in the word of God and really difficultly deny the truth in order to say, we are not approaching end times. Beloved saints, oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray today that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would go through these cameras. Lord, we pray today that every person that needs a miracle will receive one. But we ask you, Lord, that they come as a result of the word that is being spoken today on the end times, that Lord Jesus, those of us that are truly asking the question, 
are you returning soon, Lord Jesus? I pray that every person would gird up their loins, that every person would be in position and be prepared for the coming of Christ. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Beloved saints, many years ago, in 2013, we began a series on end times, not realizing that we were embarking upon signs that we would see in the heavens over a seven-year period that are completely biblically based. First of all, let us use the scriptural reference that shows us how God promised in the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, in the creation narrative, in Genesis chapter 1, that he created the sun and the moon and the stars to actually be signs for seasons. Let us look at the word of God in Genesis chapter 1, looking at verse 14. I want us to be, because we are definitely approaching provocative material, so I want us to be extremely scripturally uh, correct. I don't want this to be sensational, but I do want it to be supernatural. And there is definitely a difference between what is sensational and what is supernatural. Let's look at the word of God. The Bible says in verse 14, of the creation narrative. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. First of all, I want you to understand this concept. First of all, in Hebrew, what comes first is actually the Rashon. It is the most important part of the verse. So when on the day that God created time, and he created time as we know it here on planet Earth, through the sun and the moon, we calculate our hours in 24-hour periods through the moon, and we calculate our years through the sun. So it's very important that we realize that the first uh, the first and highest destiny of the sun and the moon was created for this purpose. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, part A of the verse, which says, and let them be for signs and for seasons. Then secondly, for days and for years. The second portion of that verse, for days and for years, is for the calculation of the calendar such as we know it whether we keep the Hebrew calendar, which is monitored by the moon, or whether we keep the secular calendar, which is monitored by the sun. It doesn't matter. Of course, the Hebrew calendar would direct our days in terms of the dates and their accuracy in the Bible will not be under the secular segment of time. That all dates in the Bible are under the Hebrew the Hebrew calendar. So it's very important that we are familiar with it so that we don't think the sixth month is actually June, that we understand the sixth month is the month of Elul, which is a very important month on the Hebrew calendar. So first of all, we are establishing the fact that when we read the Bible, we do not go by secular dates. We don't go by the secular segment of time. We must understand the first month is not January and it doesn't begin in winter. That is our calculation on our calendar. But the biblical calendar, Exodus chapter 12, verse 2, this shall be the beginning of months to you. It is the first month of the year 
to you. That is the month of Nisan, which begins in the springtime. And so therefore, all dates in the calendar are, are the dates and on the biblical calendar are also corresponding with the dates in the Bible. I say that so that we will understand that the sun and the moon were created to declare the great and mighty works of God. The Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens, verse one, declare the glory of the Lord and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Now, beloved saints, why the Bible says for signs and for seasons, for days and for years, this word signs can also be rendered as in Hebrew warnings. It can also be rendered as evidence, just like we see on the doorpost in Exodus chapter 12, the text teaches that this blood shall be a sign, shall be a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, Exodus 12, verse 13, I will pass over you and the plague will not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Notice how this word token, if we translate it into, into Hebrew, it is the same word that is used for sign, for signs and for seasons. So therefore, when we see a word used multiple times in the scripture, we evaluate what, how it's being used. And we see that this word sign is a word that is a word that means evidence. It means to point to the future. It means witness. It can mean a mark. It can mean something that came from heaven as a signal. So we see that these, that the Bible says, let them be firmament, let there be firmament in the firmament above. Let there be two lights, God said, one to rule the day and one to rule the night, which is the sun and the moon. And let them be, the Bible says in verse 14, for signs, which we just gave you the meaning in Hebrew for the word signs, which means evidence. It means to mark it. It means to tell the future. It means warning in some cases. It means that, that the creation is going to be subject to the creator. And when God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke his word into the sun. He spoke his word into the moon. He spoke his word into the stars. That's how they were created. So they are naturally created to subordinate themselves to the word of God. And this is why their highest creation, the highest purpose of the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars is to declare the glory of the Lord and to announce to the world, to announce for signs and for seasons. Why are seasons so important? Seasons, beloved saints, are not about weather conditions. These, sun, these signs, the sun and the moon, and the Bible also says, and he created the stars also. These are not created just so we know weather conditions. We can go on the television to know weather conditions, and sometimes they're very inaccurate. Know these heavenly entities 
were created to declare the glory of the Lord when God spoke his word into creation. Creation now is subordinated to whatever his word says. And his word said, let them be for signs, for warnings, for evidence, for the future, for what is going to happen in the future. Let them be evidences and witnesses, signs and seasons. This word seasons is the word moedim. The word moedim is the same word that is used for biblical feasts. So that when a sign such as a blood moon, when a sign such as a solar eclipse, appears on the day of a biblical feast, it is a message, oftentimes a warning, that something is about to happen. Now, this does not mean every blood moon is a sign from heaven. People oftentimes come up to me and say, oh, Dr. Corral, there's going to be a blood moon. And I say, well, that's really nice, and I'm really glad there's going to be a blood moon. But that does not necessarily mean it's a sign from heaven. The criteria scripturally means when it falls on a biblical feast, and when it falls on a biblical feast and there is a blood moon or there is a solar eclipse, why blood moons and solar eclipses? Because the Bible also prophesies this. In Joel chapter 2, verses 30 and 31, it's so important for us to understand why the solar eclipse and why the blood moon is so important to our evaluation of when those signs appear in the heavens, especially when there is a designated design behind it. It's something you cannot fabricate when it falls on a biblical feast, such as uh, the, the, um, the four uh, blood moons that were shown to us in a row that were signs that were in the heavens. But First of all, we need to understand that God set it up that those signs, beloved saints, and those seasons would work together. And so we see that when there is a, a, a section of four together, these are specific signs. The Bible says in Joel chapter 2, looking at verse 30, and I will show wonders in the heaven and in the earth beneath blood, fire, and pillars of smoke. And the Bible says in verse 31, it becomes more refined so that we understand what does it actually mean when the Bible says, I will show signs in the heaven. Joel is very specific. He's so specific because he is a prophet that he actually calls a lunar eclipse a blood moon. He says, the sun will be darkened, that's a solar eclipse, and the moon will be turned to blood. What does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that blood is going to drip down the moon. It means, beloved saints, that during this season, it is so important that we understand that solar eclipses and lunar eclipses when they happen on biblical feasts, the evidence shown in Joel chapter 2, verses 30 and 31, 
Also, we have that same evidence given to us in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, as a sign that the time of the Gentiles has just begun. And now the time of the Gentiles is about to be fulfilled. So in the time of the fulfillment of the Gentiles, we will see signs in the heavens and in the earth beneath. That means there's a little time left. That means the final eschaton, the final hour has come. Now, beloved, I don't mean to be so completely scripture upon scripture because the material that we're about to share is extremely provocative. And I want to be able to substantiate the fact that the things that are happening in the earth are just a series of events that Jesus himself said would take place in the end times. First of all, let us go ahead and look at Luke chapter 21. Going to Luke chapter 21, and we are going to look at not only Matthew's gospel, but I want us to see from Luke's gospel, the 21st chapter and the 25th verse, what Jesus says is going to happen in the end times and how we can calculate the hour. We may not know the exact day, but we do know we can tell the seasons. And the Bible says in verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and in the moon. So if somebody says, oh, I just don't want to get, I don't want to see all those signs in the moon, all those signs in the sun. That just sounds very unscriptural to me. Well, I'm sorry, I'm quoting the scripture to you. All right, some people say, oh, I don't believe that. Then don't believe the Bible. You and I must understand that it's very provocative material and this cannot happen by an accident. You see, we can call some things coincidence when there's just a small amount of things that just happen to fall together on certain events and certain days. But when things begin to happen in the divine order that God has given, one calamity after another calamity, and they come in the forms of suddenlies, we're not prepared for these suddenlies. Were we really prepared in March of 2020 for every airport in the world to shut overnight? Were we really prepared in March of 2020 for the malls to close, for all athletic events to close? Were we really prepared for a three-year uh, a three-year coronavirus invasion in the United States with now over 700 billion cases of coronavirus recorded, or excuse me, 700 million cases of, of coronavirus reported. Were we really prepared for what happened immediately after the pandemic basically closed? Were we really prepared for Afghanistan to see a nation of people running to get on a plane and for suddenly overnight, this happens? Were we really prepared? Boom, six months later, an invasion in the Ukraine and seeing fathers um, saying goodbye to their children overnight and fleeing for their lives in Poland. Have we really been prepared for the largest humanitarian crisis in the entire world, the refugee crisis, that we have never seen so many refugees calculated by the United Nations in the UNHCR in human history. 
and also not only refugees, but internally displaced human beings that are in the millions, and we are not talking 10 million, we are talking in the area of hundreds and hundreds of thousands and, and uh, over 70 million recorded refugees, not including the internally displaced persons. Internally displaced persons are those who are not officially registered with the UNHCR. So we have a crisis of humanity, of people in the Middle East, people in Africa, people all over the globe that have nowhere to go. Are we really prepared for what has been happening over the past months in our world, and especially now with what is happening in Israel? Beloved people, I want to share with you, these calamities are not a coincidence. And the problem arises when we, as God's people, become so conditioned to calamity that we are no longer moved to repentance and we are no longer moved to making sure that our lives are completely ready to meet the master. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, the Bible says, the bride has made herself ready. It's our responsibility to become ready. Now, beloved saints, I want to close. We don't have much time, but I want to be able to close with a little lens by which will help you interpret scripture. First of all, when we read the little apocalypse, and I don't want to call it little, but that's what some theologians call it in the book of Matthew, Matthew, the 24th chapter. And then we see almost the same narrative in Luke's gospel in the 21st chapter. Mark's, uh, Matthew's gospel actually is, must be interpreted through the lens of the Maccabean revolt. And it is very important that we understand the role of the Maccabean revolt when we are reading about end times. Why? Because throughout the book of Revelation, we see what are called Maccabeeisms. A Maccabeeism is a citation in the scripture where we will see either an idiomatic phrase that was used in the time of the Maccabees, an idiomatic phrase that was used by the culture in the time of the Maccabean revolt, or that we actually see Hebraisms and Maccabeeisms used together. For example, we see that the beginning of the book of Revelation, John has a vision of one like unto the Son of Man, and he appears in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. What does that really mean? To Americans or to a, a Gentile, to a goy, that doesn't mean much. It just means, wow, we saw a vision of Jesus, and he's in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. Are these candlesticks that you put on your table for dinner or what? You and I must understand this is not what this means. You and I must remember, and we must know that the word candlesticks is also used in the book of Exodus. This is a specific reference to the menorah. 
And the son of man standing in the ner Elohim or the servant lamp shows us that immediately John wants to take us to the Maccabees. Immediately John is saying this, the seven golden candlesticks which you saw and the Son of Man walking in the midst in Revelation chapter 1 verse 19. The seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches to Asia Minor. So therefore the church is being revealed as a menorah. Why? Why in the book of Revelation is this the symbol of the church? You can only understand that symbol through the lens of the Maccabean revolt. Why? Because in the time of the Maccabees, when the intrusion came, when the invasion came from Antiochus Epiphanes IV, when he invaded the Holy Land, he was not just invading only to conquer territory. His objective was not just to take territory. His objective was to cause every Jew to renounce the God of Israel and to completely Hellenize the entire culture of the land of Israel. And so therefore, it meant that there were strong prohibitions prohibitions against Shabbat, prohibitions against Brit Milah, which is the circumcision of children, prohibitions against synagogue, prohibitions against reading Torah, prohibitions against obeying any commandment. And one of the laws Antiochus Epiphanes IV inculcated into the land was that if any child saw their parents practicing Shabbat or obeying any of the commandments, they were under the penalty of death if they did not report their parents. And the same thing with parents. If the parents did not see that their children apostatized, if their children did not apostatize, it was the responsibility of the parent to report the child that was being unfaithful and worthy of death in the Seleucid, um, in the Seleucid Greek takeover of the Holy Land. Now, beloved saints, why am I sharing this with you? Because it's going to be like that in end times. You see, right now, we are not, we are not being put to death exactly for what we believe. But this is a call to the courageous. This is the time that the church has to hazak and be strong and very courageous. This is the time that we cannot compromise. This is the time that we must be like the Maccabees, those who even were willing to lay down their lives and come together and say, we're not taking this. You're not going to take our land. You're not going to take our territory. You're not going to take our faith. You are not going to take the faith of the, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob away from us. And so you see, many people don't really understand what is the mark of the beast. Some people say, oh, well, that mark of the beast is the chip in the arm. And very well, it could be. There's no denying it. It could be. Other people are saying the mark of the beast is going to be some mark that you're going to be forced to take and we're not going to take it. Of course not. We're not going to take it. Of course we are going to resist the mark of the beast. 
But do you want an actual historical background to what the real mark of the beast was in biblical times? This is definitely Maccabean language. The Maccabean language of the mark of the beast is extremely important so that we, when it comes time, and we may have to take a chip, or when it comes time, and we won't, that we refuse to concede to compromise, there is a background to it. We are going to understand the difference between the authentic and the pseudo. In the times, in biblical times, beloved saints, in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes IV, the children of Israel who lived in the land of Canaan and later becoming the land of Israel, it was an Agarian society where every person owned an ox and where every person owned a beast, mostly every person. And we understand, dear people of God, that what Antiochus Epiphanes IV did was he commanded every person to have a carving tool and to carve in the horn of their ox. The ox they needed to plow, if they did not have their ox, they could not buy or sell. And Antiochus Epiphanes IV demanded that every person that belonged to the God of Israel apostatize and carve in the horn of their beast. I have no portion in the God of Israel. And I want you to know, most chose rather to die than to apostatize from their faith. Beloved saints, we are coming into the days that we are going to be faced with doctrines, with ideologies, with positions that are contrary to the word of God. Let us remain faithful to the end. Jesus said, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now, what about these signs? I'm going to close with telling you the seven signs for seven years. And I'm going to do it in a, in a speed. <laughs> I could be stopped for speeding, okay? I'm going to go through it quickly and as fast as I can. Number one, the first sign was shown in the heavens with the comet Ison. Remember, Jesus said there will be stars in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. Luke chapter 21, verse 25. And I want you to know, that this comet Ison, on the day of Hanukkah, November 28th, 2013, that the comet came into the uh, perihelion of the sun, and it did not explode. This is something that it did not disintegrate. It had the whole internet going crazy. Because why? This comet did not die. It just kept being brighter and brighter and brighter. The tail of the comet Ison, which appeared on the Festival of Lights in, on November 28, 2013, um, the tail was over 3,000 miles long, and you could see it with the naked eye. You say, okay, Dr. Crow, so it was a beautiful comet. What does that possibly have to do with end times? We see comets all the time. But what we don't know is this was the beginning 
of signs that were happening in the heavens on biblical feasts. We also see that at the same time on planet Earth, when this was occurring, the largest human disaster, the largest natural disaster in human history took place in the Philippines with Hurricane Yolanda and Hayum, also known as Hayum. Second sign. The second sign occurred in April of 2014. It was a blood moon on Passover. Was that spiritually significant? Yes, on the earth. There began a rise of murdering Christians. There began a rise of, of that which was going to be telecast, and not telecast, but broadcasted, even over social media, the murdering of, 50, of 21 Egyptian martyrs in 2015. We are seeing this kind of slaughter taking place to the point that it became a human genocide. And so we see, beloved saints, in 2014 in Passover, then we also have a sister sign shown in the heavens, not by a coincidence. We see it in the April, uh, in the April on Passover of 2014. Then we see another blood moon on Sukkot or Feast of Tabernacles on, uh, in 2014. Then we're emerging into 2015 uh, on Rosh Kodesh Nisan which is one of the holiest days of the year. It's the first day of the biblical calendar. It is the holy day of the year, Rosh Kodesh Nisan, March 20th, 2015. A solar eclipse comes. All right, so you say solar eclipses come all the time. What's the big deal? We're seeing a pattern start. We're seeing a pattern start in 2013 with Comet Ison and the effects that are happening in the earth. We are seeing a, a blood moon on Passover 2014, we're seeing another blood moon on 2014, which was on Sukkot or Feast of Tabernacles. Then we are seeing a solar eclipse on Rosh Kodesh Nisan. Then again in 2015 on Passover, we also have another blood moon. And then again in 2015 on Sukkot or Feast of Tabernacles, we have another blood moon. So again, if the sequence is continuing, blood moon, blood moon, solar eclipse, then we have blood moon, blood moon, then we need another solar eclipse. And this, this final solar eclipse is shown in 2017 on August 17th across the United States. And it showed on Rosh Kodesh Elul which is a warning, the end is coming, which is a warning, judgment day is here. It came across the United States. It's not a coincidence, this sequence and this pattern. Blood moon, blood moon, blood moon on Passover, blood moon on Sukkot, solar eclipse on Rosh Kadesh Nisan. Then we see it happening again. Blood moon the next year on Passover, blood moon on Sukkot, uh, same year. And then again, in 2017, we see something happening. And what was happening on Rosh Kodesh? Elul, 
the day of warning, the day to turn, the day of repentance, the day of doing tshuva, because judgment day is at hand. We see Hurricane Harvey slam the United States. And then on Rosh Hashanah of that same year, one of the largest natural disasters in the Caribbean, in Puerto Rico, we see Hurricane Maria slam Puerto Rico. Are these things coincidences? No. But we are seeing time spread out so that if we calculate the time from 2013 to 2020, we have seven signs in seven years. Seven being the number in the book of Revelation that continues to proliferate and continues to, continues to be accentuated. We see seven churches. We see seven angels to seven churches. We see seven golden candlesticks. We see seven utterances. We see seven um, bowls of wrath. We see seven seals of the Lamb. We see seven, seven, seven. Because why? God is showing us. Now today, if you are watching this, tomorrow is going to be a solar eclipse with a ring of fire. Some of us may say, is that really spiritually significant, Dr. Krell? Uh, everybody's all anxious. Everybody wants to know, is this really spiritually significant? So though it may not be a biblical feast, because the next day is definitely Rosh Kodesh of the eighth month on the biblical calendar, but it is ending Tishri. Tishri is the seventh month, and seven is the symbol of the end. The Bible says on the seventh day, God finished his work, and he rested from all his works. It was the day he ended. We must realize that seven also means the end. And it happens to appear in the holiest month of the year, the seventh month, this ring of fire and this solar eclipse. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we don't consider it a coincidence because these are evidences that definitely demand a verdict, a decision. Evidences that demand a decision. We must make a decision. Is it coincidence or is it supernatural, the supernatural miraculous manifestation of the hidden hand of heaven? God directing and God connecting us to end times. I love you. God bless you. And I will see you real soon. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, 
and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.